Welcome to the Grace of Eugene podcast. We exist to help every person in our sphere of influence to encounter Christ, experience biblical community, and extend God's kingdom. You can learn more about us at gracecityeugene.com. Here's the podcast. As I was preparing for today and reflecting over the last few weeks, I couldn't help but spend some time just processing through the reality of the last we'll say four to eight years we've had as, um, as individuals, as families, as citizens. Um, there's been a lot to process through and contemplate and consider in our world. Would you agree? There's just kind of a lot going on out there. Um, there's a lot going on in, in our homes, in our cities, um, and in the world. And <clears throat> I think that when you sit back after like all these years of, you know, and for some of us, it's like, man, you're exhausted from all the things you're always contemplating, processing through, wrestling with the different circumstances, the different points of view. And I think some of those things we've been forced to deal with, and some of them we've been invited, and it's like good that we have to process through, but it can get a little exhausting. And sometimes we just sit back and out of that place we just stop wanting to actually think critically about things. And we stop thinking about things that are meaningful that we should consider. Because when we just get exhausted about you know, decision fatigue and all these things, it can be easy to just think, I'm done. I just, I want to stay right where I am. I don't want any noise. I don't want anyone bothering me. I, can I just have some peace? Has anybody felt that way in the last four to eight years? Or the last year? Um, sometimes you just want some peace. Now, I'm not going, I'm going to spare you going and naming all of these things because I just started the sermon and you just gave me a nice applause and I don't want to make anyone frustrated yet. Uh, that's a really risky move to start out your sermon. But as I'm talking about this, I'm sure there's things popping into your mind. Some of them that maybe you never had to think about before. Some of them that maybe were all too real to you and you're just glad that other people had to think about it. And some of them maybe that you wish no one had to talk about or think about. Um, the reality is there are a ton of things that us as a people, as a city, as a nation, as families have had to consider. And one of the benefits that I believe of this like, need to contemplate and consider things is that I think probably for the first time in my life, most everybody has been compelled to consider really meaningful, deep things in a new way. Like, you can't just sit by and say, I, I don't have to know what I think about certain things. Can you resonate with this? Like, you can't just sit by and be like, ah, um, I plead the fifth. I don't have an opinion on that. Like, passivity and, like, just avoiding having to actually process through and consider things, that's really hard to do these days, especially if you're on social media, if you have a TV, you know, technology of any type. It's all there. It's right in front of you. And one of the things that... I've had increasingly <clears throat> freak, more frequent conversations about over these years is big questions in life, like, how do I get right with God? Is there a God? Um, where, where do I go after I die? One of the great honors that I get as a pastor, um, it doesn't always feel like an honor, but it is to walk through people with, is great things like weddings and then experiences like death and funerals, and you're, you're in the trenches, so to speak, with people. And it's in those scenarios, in those circumstances, that people really start to contemplate these questions more. You can't 
go to a funeral and not wonder like, man, what's after this? Where am I going? What is the meaning of life? What, what, what comes after this? Where is that person? And we have to consider these things when we're confronted with the brokenness, the darkness, and all the chaos that's all around the world. We as people, and I'm guessing if you're here today, whether someone dragged you or you came willingly, you're at least willing to consider, well, it's Easter, I'm going to go to a church on Easter, so I'm going to hear about Jesus. Like, there is something in your mind, in your heart that is stirring about what is there after this? What am I living life for? We have to consider those things. And when people come towards the end of their life or they experience somebody else having done so, one of the main questions that comes up that has to be considered is, what does it take to be made right with God? Like, what, what does it take? And if you ask that question today, you're going to get all sorts of answers. And if you've had any conversations with anybody about that, I'm sure you can relate. Um, <laughs> you're going to get questions or people that are going to answer like, oh, you just need to be a good person. Like, if you just are a nice person, everything's going to work out in the end. Now, I'm not saying go be a mean person. I'm not saying that being a good person is a bad thing, but it's not the only thing. You see, we live in a very kind of spiritual, pluralistic society. Would you guys agree? Where it's just kind of like, hey, whatever, as long as you're on your path and you know your truth and you recognize that there's something to the human experience that is spiritual it's kind of widely accepted and just left at that. Many answers that you may receive would be like, well, all roads lead to God. It doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere or all world religions are basically the same. Like these are the kind of responses you may get to what does it look like to be made right with God. Now, this probably isn't a secret. I don't think this is a spoiler or anything, but I personally, I, I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't believe like just any path and, and all these things, and we're going to break that down, but that's, that's my walk. That's my faith. That's what I believe. I am a follower of the Jesus of the Bible. And what's really interesting to me is when I say that out in the world today, like you can talk about spiritual things all day. It doesn't matter where you're at. If you're at the hospital, if you're on campus, if you're in a school, and people are like, do you have any faith? And you're like, I'm just really spiritual. Like, right on, great for you, right? Like, I'm, I'm spiritual. I just like... Good for you. Have you guys experienced that? If you just keep it at the spiritual level, man, it's all good. Like, you can be there all day. You can say, hey, it's, it's not controversial. You can talk about, you know, I believe there's something out there. I believe there's something to us besides our physical bodies. And people are like, amen. You know, maybe not amen, but they're, they're all about that. <laughs> but when does it get controversial? You can even say something about God, right? And it's not controversial yet. But as soon as you say, I am a follower of Jesus, you have stepped in a hornet's nest. Has anybody experienced this? Or is it just me because of my title? It gets controversial when you bring up the name of Jesus, which is interesting because few people, if any, would actually debate like that Jesus was a person, like that he existed, that he is a historical figure. There's almost, there's like hardly anybody that I've ever come across that has said, like any logical thinking person, there was no historical figure or person of Jesus. That's like not debated. Yet when you say his name, you're stepping in a hornet's nest. 
people generally accept that, yes, somebody named Jesus lived. And what's also interesting to me is that people don't necessarily dislike his teaching. Have you had these experiences and conversations where you bring up Jesus? It's like, here's what Jesus taught. And they're like, gosh, I really love this Jesus teacher guy. Like he teaches that we should help the poor, love people that are overlooked in society. We should forgive people. Like nobody debates that Jesus's teachings were good, that the person of Jesus and what he taught was good. They don't even debate the existence of Jesus. So why is it that everybody gets so up in arms about Jesus? Have you ever thought about that? Like, what is it about Jesus that gets people so darn frustrated? Now, I'm going to give you the answer to that. It's because there is an exclusive claim of Jesus that our society and our world today just can't handle if it challenges their pre-existing worldview, their comfort, or how they want to live their lives. Jesus makes an exclusive claim. In fact, in John 14, 6, this is exactly what Jesus says. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So this starts to bring some light to why this is so inflammatory in a world of just being spiritual. And if you're a good person, then let's just keep doing that and everything will work itself out. In a world of pluralism, Jesus makes an exclusive claim that he is, in fact, the only way. And nobody comes to the Father, to God, except through him. So in a world that says, do whatever you want, have your own truth, whatever you feel on any given day, great, just go for it and be true to yourself, Jesus comes in and says, actually, I'm the only way to the Father. I'm the only way to God. And that pushes people away. A lot of people say, all roads lead to God. All religions are pretty much the same. And Jesus comes in and messes stuff up in a good way. And he says, actually, I'm the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And so what I want to do today is I want to think for a moment together and recognize that even though there's some good things uh, about all different religions and even people that are walking all different ways of life contribute to society in some really good ways that we have to acknowledge not all religions are the same. We, we need to acknowledge that. In fact, I would say they're not anywhere close to being the same. And so I want to start out by just giving a quick flyby overview of some of the major world religions, we'll say two minutes or less, to frame the context for what I'm asking you to consider today about Jesus. So let's briefly look at and recognize that all religions are not the same. Every path is not the same. There are differences. And I think anybody that would profess any of these religions would actually probably be offended if you lumped them in with everything else. Like, they're different. And I find it helpful to understand how they are. So let's start with Buddhism. Buddhists will believe that there is no God and no type of final existence. A Buddhist is going to believe in countless rebirths, and eventually you hope that the cycle just ends. So it's just a countless rebirth, and eventually the cycle will end. How, when, why, where? I don't know. Just be at peace. And then you contrast that with Hinduism. And a Hindu is going to believe in a God an impersonal God that is approached through deities or statues or idols. And then you take these two together, Buddhism and Hinduism, and they, off, they, they offer no forgiveness of sins, no supernatural help, only karma. I'm sure we've all heard of karma. So in other words, if you cut someone off on the road, somebody else is going to cut you off because you deserve it. That's how the world works. 
And that's what a lot of these folks in these religions would believe. Now you contrast that with a Muslim who is going to worship a personal God named Allah. A Muslim has no secondary gods, no other gods. There's a total ban on idols. And your standing with God is based on your religious good works and your efforts. So how you stand with Allah depends on how good you're following rules, how you are living a works-based life. Are you putting in effort? Are you checking all of the boxes? And then you can contrast that with new age where there is no type of God and your goal is to be one with the cosmos or the universe. Now, in Eugene, that one might be a little popular. I'm sure you guys have heard that. That's no news to you. Now you contrast that with someone who's a Jesus follower, who believes in a personal God, who loves his people so much that he became like them in the person of Jesus. He lived without sin, died for the sins of the world on a cross, rose again so that people could be made right with God, not by going through deities or idols or religious performers, but by faith in God's son, Jesus alone. That is different. That is what we are here today to celebrate and contemplate. So with that flyby, can we not acknowledge that maybe there's some good contributions from many different groups of people to society and some religions, like there's some good things about them and good people involved in them, but they are absolutely not the same. They are absolutely not the same path to God. They are not the same. Is that fair enough? Can we at least agree on that point? Perfect. Hopefully we continue to agree throughout our time together. So here's what I want you to do today. It's really simple. I'm going to ask you as we go through our time together that you would simply consider this person of Jesus with me. So we've talked about there's an exclusive claim that Jesus makes. And if he makes this claim and we're here today saying, hey, the tomb is empty, or at least you've got to be inquiring about it a little bit if you showed up to church, then tell me more about Jesus. And would you consider if that exclusive claim he makes applies to your life and you want to do something about it today? That's the journey I would invite you to go on. No matter what your background is, what religious background you may come from, would you consider Jesus? Now, let me be real clear. Like, I love our church. I love the people in our church. I love Grace City. I moved here to, to start it. I believe God's working mightily in it. I'm not asking you to consider Grace City. I'm asking you to consider Jesus. <clears throat> I do my best every week to come up here and be faithful to preach the word of God, the best that I know how in any moment. But I'm not asking you to consider me today. I'm asking you to consider Jesus. I'm not asking you to consider our first-time guest gifts or whoever met you at the door, if you like blue balloons or not. I'm asking you to consider Jesus today because he's the way, the truth, and the life, and it's only through him that we can experience the fullness of what God has for us. That's what I'm asking. That's who I'm asking you to consider today. But before we go any further, I'm going to pray. So God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. I thank you for each person in this room today and each person tuning in online. God, I thank you for each of their stories, what has brought them to this place. And right now, Father, I pray that you'd break down any walls that would interfere with them hearing about you and your truth. God, would you bring focus? Would you bring peace in hearts that are anxious? Would you open up ears and minds to receive this good news, maybe even for the first time, of who you are and who you have called each of us to be? Father, would you have your way? Would your Holy Spirit... Fill this place and speak through me in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen.
So the first thing, I'm going to ask you to consider three things today. The first one is this, and if you take notes, go for it, write this down. But would you consider the ministry of Jesus? As we consider who Jesus is, there's three things about him that I'm going to ask you to consider. Consider who he came for and how he treated people. Consider the ministry of Jesus. Now I want to look for a second in Mark's gospel, the first one. Mark chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. It says this, it says, when the teachers of the law, who were the Pharisees, saw him being Jesus eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, here's Jesus's response. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus's ministry here, and I love this, he, he's interacting with the Pharisees. Now, if you haven't been in church before, maybe you're not familiar with that term, the Pharisees were kind of like the religious rule-following police of the Jewish people. They were the ones that tried to uphold all the religious standards of the Old Testament. Now, I'm not bashing that they had a love for the Scripture, but they weren't about relationship. They were about follow all these rules so that we can look good, and anyone that resides in our area that we oversee is following the rules, and then I'm such a good leader. That is a little more of the, the Pharisees' heart in this. And so they see this guy, Jesus, who people are calling rabbi, which means teacher. They see him eating with outcasts. They see him eating with people that societally would be discarded, would be pushed off to the side, that weren't ritually clean, and a rabbi had no business being around. They saw him eating with somebody like me. They saw him eating with somebody imperfect, somebody who was not worthy of, couldn't live a life to all the standards that maybe they were called to do. And when the teachers of the law saw Jesus eating with them, and he was hanging out with those that the religious folks rejected, they scoffed. They were taken aback, like, what is this person doing eating with them? Religious people shouldn't eat with that type of person. And I love Jesus' response. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but who needs a doctor? The sick. Jesus said this, I have not come to call the righteous, but who did he come to call? He came to call the sinners. He came to call the people that need fixed. He came to call the people that were broken, that were in doubt, that were struggling in life, that had found themselves in crises and doubting faith and all of these things. He came for those people. He didn't come for the perfect and said, hey, earn your way in and you can be in the club. He came for everybody. He didn't come for just those of us that have it all together. He came for those of us who needed help, who needed grace, who needed mercy. He came for those that religion rejected, like that the religious people rejected. And Jesus said, ah, I'm here for you. You're included. When everybody else around them said, we're too good for them. They're not good enough for us. They're not clean enough. They're not righteous enough. They're not holy enough. That's exactly who Jesus came for and continues to be for today. So when you feel like, man, I'm, I'm just not worthy of this. I got, I got to get my life right before I can get engaged in anything to do with Jesus. Or, you know, I got to figure all my stuff out. Like, nah, Jesus came for you right where you're at right now. Whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you are thinking that, or the enemies may be telling you you should feel shame about, like he came for that right now. He didn't come say, hey, look at what you could have if you'll just get your life together. He comes and he says, I gave my life so that you can have better. That's who Jesus came for. 
nobody in this room, and hopefully you would agree with me, nobody in here is absolutely perfect. If you are, you can just sit there and keep listening to what I say and just take it that I'm preaching to myself. But nobody is perfect. Jesus came for people like us. Now, not only did he come for sinners, but when you look at the ministry of Jesus, you'll be blown away by the miracles that he did. In our previous sermon series that we started the year out, we looked a little bit at this, like the miracles that Jesus did. What did this guy do? By the power of God, Jesus opened blind eyes. He healed deaf ears. He called mute to speak. He multiplied a few loaves and fishes and fed hundreds and thousands or hundreds and thousands of people. He would cast demons out of people, seeing them delivered from oppression. He even raised the dead. Like, Jesus did some pretty cool stuff. His very first miracle, he turned water into wine at a wedding. Now, what's so interesting to me about the miracles of Jesus is those people that we're talking about, the Pharisees and those that wanted to reject Jesus and how, how he's so unclean to be around those people, they never debated the validity of his miracles. They never came into a situation and said, ah, I don't know if that happened, because they saw it. They, they were like, who, who can he do this under? What authority does he have? Why is he doing it on Sunday? This is Sabbath. You see that religious thing coming in there. They, they never came against the fact of whether he did it or not. They just tried to disregard like, well, it must be some dark power or something because this is really frightening and it, it blows all of our preconceived boxes of where God fits out of the water. They didn't disagree that these things happened. They witnessed it. They just wanted him to stop. Like, will you just stop doing that? Because we don't have a box for what you're doing. <clears throat> By what power are you doing this, they'd say. They saw it. They saw it with their own eyes. Even those that were against him saw it. They witnessed it. Would you consider the ministry of Jesus? In fact, there's many of us in this room, I believe, that would say like, this is who I was before Jesus, and this is who I am now. I am not the same as I was before Jesus. I'm not the way I was anymore. I was a mess, yet I've been transformed. I was addicted, and now I'm free. I was full of hatred in my heart, but now I am compelled with love and grace for others. You're different because of God's Son, Jesus Christ, and the work He's done in you. Would you consider the ministry of Jesus. In fact, for me, it wasn't too long ago that I was chasing my tail in this game of people pleasing. You get those chasing your tail, just going in circles, right? Not actually accomplishing anything, trying to please people, trying to find whatever party would give me a fix on any given weekend while I was in college, just trying to find a group of people that would accept me, that would love me, and that I could find purpose and guidance from. That was my story. That's where I was. Now, unfortunately for younger me, I didn't realize that I was having to find a different group to check each of those boxes because the only person that could truly love me, accept me, guide me, and that I could find purpose in was Jesus Christ and through being a part of his family in the local church. I was trying to find all these other things and there wasn't one thing that could satisfy all the desires and the needs of my heart except for Jesus. And once the Lord revealed himself to me through a few individuals, through a church family, and through his word, my life changed. It changed forever. I was never the same. My life was transformed. And I pray that you can experience that through considering Jesus as well. 
Many of you in this room stand here today, a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. You've put off your old life and you're experiencing a new life, walking in faith in Jesus. I pray that each of you in here gets to experience the transformation by the power and the presence of God, and you're able to say, I'm not who I was. I'm a new creation in Him. Would you consider the ministry of Jesus? The second thing, if you're taking notes, is this. Would you consider the resurrection of Jesus? That's what we're here today talking about, right? The resurrection of Jesus. So you may ask yourself, like, why does resurrection matter so much? And if you're new to church, it's a very fair question. You see, Jesus was miraculously conceived. He was born of a virgin, and he did not inherit the sin nature of an earthly father. He was completely without sin in his entire life, and he lived the perfect life for us. And then on the cross, he took on sin for us. Now, if you're familiar with death on a cross, he suffered horribly. He suffered horribly. And while the creation was mocking the creator as they spit on him and hurled insults at him and beat him beyond recognition on the cross, Jesus looked up to heaven and he cried out, Father, please forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Father, would you forgive them? They don't know what they're doing. What kind of grace is that? What kind of love is that experienced from the cross? Then Jesus cries out a victorious cry. He says, it is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last, and he gave his life. In the moment he did, we read that the earth went dark, and the ground trembled. And the Roman centurion, who was not even a follower of Jesus, but saw his love, his heart, and his mercy, saw who he was and looked on him and said, I didn't believe before, but I believe now who he is. Surely that man is no ordinary man. Surely He's the son of God. And then just as Jesus had predicted, I will give my life and three days later I'll rise from the dead. Three days later, the women went to the tomb where he was buried and the stone was rolled away and he was not there. He wasn't there. And Peter, who had just denied Jesus, they asked him, do you know him? No, I don't. Weren't you one of his disciples? No, absolutely not. But you were hanging out with him. No, that wasn't me. Three times denied him. Peter was completely transformed because the tomb was empty. And he preached pastorally on the resurrection as the early church was developed. Like this impacted and transformed Peter. In Acts 3.15, he said this to the religious leaders. Peter did. He said, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. You killed the author of life, but he's not dead anymore. You tried. You gave it your best shot, but Jesus conquered death. He conquered sin on the cross. He conquered death, and he conquered the enemy when he resurrected. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And then he said this, and this is the key. He said, we are witnesses of this. We are witnesses of this. This isn't some fable written in somebody's office that nobody saw. There are witnesses of this. We are witnesses. We saw him. That's why these men were willing to live their lives for Jesus that they were denying just a few days earlier. How, how like, put yourself in Peter's shoes. Like, you kind of picked your camp when you denied Jesus three times as he's getting, like, killed, Right? Like, I kind of chose my side. But that God so loved him 
and forgave him. And through the resurrection, through him conquering sin, death, and Satan, Peter is transformed and becomes like one of the most profound, prolific preachers that the Bible sees. Like, that's the kind of God that we get to serve. And that doesn't happen without something supernatural. Everything hinges on the resurrection, and it was witnessed. They saw it. Now, what's, what's funny to me as you consider this resurrection narrative is that some people try to say, nah, the Roman soldiers, they just stole the body. Have you guys heard that before? The Roman soldiers, they just stole the body. It's like the Roman soldiers would have loved nothing more than to be able to produce a body. Like, that's a really easy way around this whole, like, Jesus is the Messiah, Savior, like, King thing, is to just say, well, no, actually, here's his body. Sorry, prank went wrong. Like, and just give it back. But no, they would have wanted nothing more than to present a body, but they could not. The Roman soldiers would not have taken it and hid it. And then there's this whole idea of, well, the disciples, they, they stole the body, right? They, stole, they, they went over, they conquered this highly trained group of Roman soldiers, and they rolled this big, heavy stone away, these little old fishermen, or ex-fishermen, and they just took Jesus' body. And there was no testimony from any of the Roman soldiers to tell of it. Like, that doesn't really check out. Like, I'm not, I don't have a law degree, but I don't think that would stand up in court. Um, that's, that's a tough sell, because at least one of those Roman guards would have been able to testify to what had happened, and they would have been able to figure things out. I don't really expect that any rational person would believe that 11 average, uneducated men devised the greatest scheme in history, pulled it off, kept it a secret, all at a very tremendous personal cost, and cheated the world to become a better place at the same time. Or like, that they put this scheme into place, and all of these things happened. They were witnesses of this. They were witnesses of Jesus's life after resurrection. Now, 10 of the 11 remaining disciples, because Judas took his own life, <clears throat> 10 of the remaining uh, died the death of a martyr. Like that's another thing to consider that a lot of people don't talk about. If the disciples just planned this whole scheme so that they could, you know, create some religion, do you think they would have died a martyr's death for a lie? Like honestly consider that. Would you die a martyr's death for a lie? <clears throat> they died because they saw it. They witnessed it, and they were willing to give everything to stand for the truth that they had witnessed and the transformation that they had experienced because of it. The only one who remained living was John, and he was exiled to the island of Patmos, and he died alone in his old age. But the rest of them died a martyr's death. Now, one of my favorite narratives out of this is, is Thomas. You guys might have heard of Thomas. They call him Doubting Thomas. <clears throat> Thomas was a lot like me. He always questioned everything. He always had all these scenarios playing in his head. But what if this? What if this? I don't know about that. Like, he was a doubter. He always needed, like, extra proof that something was right. He wanted a little bit more evidence. Is there anybody that might, you know, kind of resonate with Thomas and the doubter in here? Maybe. He said, I want to see. Can I see? I want, I want to see. I want to, I want to touch. I want to know this is you. And Jesus said, see here, you can, you can touch. Here's, here's where the, the nails were. <clears throat> Some of you today, you're like that. You, you've heard about Jesus before. And whether it's because you've seen Jesus people that didn't represent the Jesus you saw in the Bible, 
or maybe just because of trauma and things from you know, your life and how people have treated you, you've just kind of said, ah, I don't really think that's for me. I need to see some more evidence. You're doubting because of some of the evidence you have seen in people because you're considering the people of Jesus, not the person of Jesus. And so what I'm asking you today is as we talk about this, don't let all the ideas of, well, that person said they went to church. That person said they believed in Jesus and they said this, they treated me that way. I saw that Westboro Baptist group on TV and they say that they follow Jesus. They just put Baptist on their name so they could get a tax write-off. That's not Jesus people, okay? Don't let those people represent who Jesus is to you. Don't consider the broken, dark people of Jesus that may be imperfect in their journey and where they're at right now and how they treat you. Consider the person of Jesus, his death and resurrection, and that people witnessed him coming back to life, and that can change your life forever. Don't let things that should not get in the way of your faith keep you from faith and considering Jesus, because the reality was there was eyewitnesses that the tomb was empty and that Christ was risen from the dead. And then the early church was born. 3,000 people were saved. And 2,000 years later, there are millions of people and hundreds of thousands of churches that place their faith in an empty tomb. The resurrection matters. He is not there. He is risen from the dead. So consider Jesus. Consider his ministry. Consider his resurrection. And the third thing is consider the eternal message of Jesus. Consider the eternal message of Jesus. Coming back to the question from the beginning, how are we made right with God? How can we be made in right relationship with the God who created us, with the God who we often stray from and disobey and disregard? How can we repair that relationship? How can we be made right with him? Romans 3.22 tells us we are made right with God by doing what? By putting our faith in Jesus Christ. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew or Gentile. Now, notice what he didn't say. It doesn't say we're made right with God by being good enough, by not acting bad, by not saying bad words at a golf course, by living perfectly all the time, by not speeding or honking your horn or whatever else it may be. He doesn't say earn your way to be made right before God, we are made right by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul said. We're made right with God by placing our faith in the person of Jesus Christ in his work, not ours. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter your ethnic background, your country of origin, your religious background, or whatever you may have done over the weekend, it is available to everybody should they put their faith in Jesus Christ. This is true for everyone who believes, and I don't want you to miss that here this morning, because there's plenty of noise and voices that will tell you that your decisions have disqualified you. But what the Word said is that it doesn't matter. If you put your faith in Jesus, it's for you. It's for you. It doesn't matter what poor decisions you've made, what hurt you have done to others or taken on. Like, it's for everybody. If you believe, it doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter how bad you've been or how you've been messing up right now even, how many people you've hurt, how frequently you think you've sinned, whatever it is, it's not about being good enough. You're made right with God because Jesus is perfect, not because of your perfection. And he took the penalty and he paid the price for our sins. It's not about your works, it's about what he did. 
That's the difference between religion and relationship. Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He didn't come and fill out his 501c3 paperwork and get everything done to have some sort of religious organization so that he could build some organization in the ancient Near East. Like Jesus did not come just for religion. He came to offer us eternal life. His message is one of our eternal standing with our creator, not of your societal position in this life. That's not what he came to transform. He didn't come to start a religion. He came to show us the love of God. What good news is that? He didn't just come to start a group or a club. He came to represent and be an ambassador of and a reflection of the love of the God who created you. That's what he came for. Religion is all about how you perform. Relationship is all about how Jesus performed. Relationships about how he performed. Religion says if you work hard enough, maybe God will love you. But relationship says because God loves me, I want to obey him. <clears throat> Religion is all about what you do. Relationship tells you that Jesus already did it all for you. That's the God we serve. We don't serve a God that just comes with a handbook so you can check everything off and make sure you're doing all your rhythms every day. Now, are there good rhythms that will help you grow in a relationship with God? Well, absolutely. Are there good relationship rhythms that you can use with your spouse or your kids or your coworkers? Yeah, that's relationship, okay? But that's not what earns this. Jesus already paid it for you. So would you consider the eternal message that you're not made right with God by your own works, by what you can do, but by the grace and love of Jesus. It's so freeing when you realize that you don't have to earn it because we'd never deserve it if we did, but it's a gift freely given, paid on the cross by the creator of the world so that we could be restored to relationship with him. So here's where I stand on all this if you haven't picked it up yet. If there's a God who claims to be the Son of God and says that He is the only way to the Father, and He predicts His death, and He predicts His resurrection, and then He dies and He rises again, I'm choosing that God. Like, seems to make sense. Seems to make sense. I'm going to go with that God. I'm going to go with that guy because that guy came for someone like me, a sinner who is lost and troubled and can't figure things out on his own and desperately needs somebody who's more qualified to help lead my life and help give me purpose and help give me direction. Like I, I'm going with that guy. I'm going with the guy that showed me what God is like and that God loves me and wants a relationship with me, not just a robot out of me. See, religion, it's all about robotics. You just do all these things, and it's not about actually your, like you as a person and what you have to offer with your personality, your giftings, your passions, your desires. It doesn't take that into consideration. It just says, here, let's implant this software in you, and you go be a good little robot. But God loves me. He created me unique with a personality. He gifts me, and he calls me differently than many of us in here, and that's great. That's why we're called the body of Christ, because we represent all different parts. But I'm going with this guy. And some of you today, you've already said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going with that guy. Like, you've already made that decision, and praise God for that. That's, that's not a little thing. Some of you maybe have made that decision or considered Jesus in the past, but because of whatever reason, whether it's people or situations that have happened in your life, you've just kind of went at an arm's length and you're like, ah, I might come back around to that if I really need it, but right now I'm okay, I got me. 
Like things are going all right in my life. Bank accounts headed in the right direction. Most people like me. I got a good house. I got like good friends. Like I'm good right now. Things are going okay with me. And so Jesus isn't really Lord and Savior of your life, but you're like, well, I, I, I believe in him. And you're kind of like the people I talked about earlier where it's like, yeah, he's a great dude. Wouldn't disagree that he existed. His teaching's even good. But does his message transform my life and give me direction? Not right now. Maybe that's where you're at. And maybe you've never heard any of this before, and you're like, who is this dude? What is he talking about? Are we done yet? <clears throat> Almost. But would you consider Jesus? Before you go and you hurry out before the last song's over, would you consider Jesus? Because as soon as you leave, there's going to be plenty of things out there vying for your attention, competing for your worship, trying to get you to pledge allegiance to them. But what I'm here to tell you today is the only one that will fulfill you, that will bring you hope, that will bring you actual joy, not just happiness because of the fleeting circumstances, but joy because of your security. That's Jesus. Will you consider him? Will you consider him? Worship team, you can come back up. Will you consider the person of Jesus, his message, his resurrection, what he says about you, who you are to him? That's one of my favorite things about being a child of God, as the word tells us when we give our lives to Jesus. We're adopted into the spiritual family. One of the, my favorite things about that is what I get to be a part of. You see, oftentimes we're seeking things out in our daily lives that are about how we can satisfy our needs, how we can check boxes for us, how we can like circumvent guilt and all these other stressors in our life for us. But the cool thing about this is when you consider Jesus, and if you say yes to Jesus, you're actually like saying yes to a family. You're saying yes to being a part of something bigger than just your life, than just your home. Jesus doesn't just transform your heart. It's not just like a fire insurance so that you don't like aren't separated from him later in life. Like when you say yes to Jesus, you're brought into his kingdom. You have family, you have purpose, you have a calling. And it's about so much more than just what he does in you. It starts in you, but then it flows out of you. And then your family starts to change. Your kids start to change. Your workplace starts to change. And it starts to look a lot more like the teaching of Jesus than what you're seeing there right now. Imagine your city, your workplaces, your family, your neighborhoods, if the teachings of Jesus flourished everywhere that you placed your feet, everywhere that God would lead you. Imagine the change that that would make. That's what excites me about this, is it's not just about me when I say yes to Jesus. It's about what he can do through me as well. <clears throat> so as we close today, I obviously painted a couple different scenarios for you of where you may be right now, what your situation or your level of consideration of Jesus might be. But I want to ask you, will you seriously consider that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through him, that he is the path and he's inviting you today to say yes to him as, his, as your Lord and Savior. You say, yeah, I believe that he is real. I believe he loves me. I believe he has a plan and purpose for my life. And I don't know what that looks like, and I'm going to do it really imperfectly, 
because I'm a person and I still do it really imperfectly right now. And yet God uses me to speak his word. It's not about perfection. Nobody achieves any certain level to where they're then worthy to live a life pursuing Jesus. All you have to say is, yes, I want to figure this out the best I can. And I'm going to trust you, God, and your people to help me with that. Because there is nothing more lonely than living a life void of hope, void of purpose beyond the next week, and void of any sort of hope in our eternity. And when we ask ourselves these questions of what's next, what do I got to do to be made right with God? Where am I going after this? I pray that you will know your answer that your answer will be that I've placed my faith in Jesus. And this family I got around me, we're in it for the long haul. I'm gonna be a part of what God's doing here on earth. And I know that my security eternally rests in him, that that work was paid for on the cross and I'm secure. Family, I want you all to experience the security of a life led by Jesus Christ. So wherever you're at today, I want to invite you to make that decision. And I'm going to close with praying. And I'm going to ask right now that everybody would just bow their heads and consider for a moment. What, what does Jesus mean to me? Am I willing to say yes to this and see how he might work in my life? See what Jesus has for me rather than what my plans are for me. And as every head's bowed, if you want to say yes to Jesus today, maybe for the first time or maybe for the first time in a long time, I'm going to ask you to be brave and just raise your hand, elbow above the head style, not the little short one, as a sign of saying, yes, God, I I give my life to you. I'm responding to you. And in faith, I'm trusting that you are going to secure my eternity. I want to commit my life to you as my Lord and Savior. I am no longer just considering you. I am putting my faith in you. If that's you, just raise your hand. I'm going to pray as we close. And you can pray along with me in your heart or out loud. Heavenly Father, forgive me of all my sins. I give my life to you. Fill me with your spirit so I can follow you and serve you the rest of my life. God, I know my life is not my own. And today I submit it to you. Thank you for new life. God, would you be with me as I put off my old self and take on my new life in you? In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen.